3: Hey everybody, welcome back in to the Letterman Lounge at Roosters on Olentangy River Road in beautiful, sunny, warm Columbus, Ohio. This is Letterman Live and we got a lot of Ohio State offseason talk to get into again, but football season is over. We had a national championship game last month. We had the Super Bowl on Sunday night. Bob, we we gotta just be thankful for that. We didn't know five months ago that we'd get either of those things.
1: Yeah, if you look at you know college football, obviously it was more of a truncated season. They cut down you know the Big Ten significantly, SEC, ACC played a little bit more, not nearly as much in the non-conference. Um, you know, Big Twelve, Pac-12 12 also abbreviated a little bit, but we had the playoff. That was there. You had the bowl games. There's a lot of people around here excited about it. You can hear the enthusiasm, the energy in their voice. And if you look at the NFL, 256. 256 regular season games. Every playoff game was played. I think probably the the most impressive thing about the playoffs is when you get there, you can't delay those games. And all of the key players, if you will, the quarterbacks, like the elite stars that people wanted to see, I don't know if they had a different testing protocol or whatever happened because it would have been terrible (laughs) last night if Tom Brady or Pat Mahomes couldn't have played. But all of those games went off. Relatively without a hitch, mm-hmm. and so it was a successful season. I think some people maybe didn't want to see it played. They did it safely. They did a good job. Amazed at how, when you can have a reduced capacity stadium, and you can have seventy five hundred of the seats allocated to, you know, first uh, first responders, frontline healthcare workers, and yet you still have the nonsense of the dude out there in some sort of man singlet thong <laughs> gets out on the field and is running around. I'm like. You have like 40 percent. Half the people there are cutouts. Where did this guy come how from? How did he slip through?
3: And like you know, all the pandemic protocols that were no. in place and the security and the space. Like, how does that still happen? Where was his mask? <laughs> but you know what? That's just that's part of the Super Bowl. That's part of big games. You got to have. Where was his mask? That's Bobby Carpenter, Michael Bennett, Spencer Holbrook jumping in with us this week on Letterman Live. But you know, I just it's really impressive that we got through all this. Must have been some of that SEC football protocol that got the NFL to the finish line. Good for them, because I'm glad that we got it. Maybe now 2021 will be a little bit more normal. Um, You guys in the middle have had a little bit of experience with the guy who won last night at quarterback for Tampa Bay. Seven rings now. Just to put that in perspective, his alma mater has two wins in its biggest rivalry in the span that he's won seven Super Mm. Bowls. Uh, It's pretty remarkable what Tom Brady has done. I don't know that you can argue with uh, the GOAT status for him at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean... There was a couple years ago where Tom Brady maybe had five championships and people were still kind of like, oh, well, is it the Patriots? Is it Belichick? Is it the system? Whatever it is. I mean, I think after a sixth, you would have a hard time convincing anybody that he wasn't the greatest of all time. And then he goes to a brand-new conference a brand or a brand-new division, brand-new team, brand-new coach, all this stuff, and still manages to take the freaking Tampa Bay Buccaneers, <laughs> not only to the Super Bowl, but through Mahomes, through Rodgers, Breeze and win it. And, I like, you there's nothing you can do. You can't – I don't understand any more Tom Brady hatred. It's like at this point, I'm thankful I was alive during the time to watch this dynasty get built um, and to see this just elite competitor fight year after year at the year, age of 43 yeah. to go win another Super Bowl. I, I've got nothing but respect for him. I'm thankful I got to watch him. I mean, Mahomes is no slouch. He looked like he might have been a little banged up uh, last night. But the guy I mean Mahomes is you see that completely horizontal pass <laughs> that hit his receiver in the face you can't script that you can't what do you, you can't do anything about that and somehow the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, were able to come away with a win and I mean I got nothing but love for Tom Brady from that
1: you know it's amazing the arc where you know he was the the aw shucks guy at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden people begin to hate him because he wins so much in the dynasty, and you always get sick of it. And then when he was in New England, let's be honest, I mean they weren't the most endearing franchise. to Everybody, people in Boston, let's speaking of all, about <laughs> all about all Bostonians, but there's a stereotype that comes along with it. And I think people understand that hey. They might not be the most friendly people, especially when they're winning, so there's there's that issue. And then also... It <laughs> Which just, was
3: happening a lot in yes. multiple sports. Oh, yeah. Yes.
1: And so you, you got to like just get sick of them. You, it wears you out. It wears you out. One thing, though, about Tom Brady is like he is legitimately one of the nicest guys I've ever been around. And the guy you see afterwards like talking about this and learning everybody's name on the team, and everybody takes that for granted, like... Tom Brady doesn't need to know the sixth linebacker, you know, on the team or you know the the four or five defensive practice squad guys, like they're of no importance to him, except for the fact that he he's a leader and it's important for him for the camaraderie piece. And that is why you saw him go to Tampa Bay. They struggled at the beginning, but much like when he was in New England, they just get better and better, and they always have that inflection point. And the on-to-Cincinnati comment, you know, is infamous now. But, like, they got smoked by Kansas City early on. They come back and tighten the game up. But at that point, I mean, we've talked about like They, they won eight straight games, and they, they went on the road and beat some really good teams. Drew Brees, Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Famers, yeah. Yeah. MVPs. Yeah. Like, And they did it. And he, he elevated everybody. You can see the interaction that he has with guys on both sides of the ball. It's something that's very, very rare in sports. And in a sport like football, it's good. Pat Mahomes was not bad last night. No. He was just under siege, made some great plays. You have to have everybody involved. And there's something about a guy like Tom Brady who gets everybody to buy in yeah. on both sides. And that you have a singular focus. And that's why they were able to have so much success last night. They were ready to go from the, the kick. And no matter even if the, the Chiefs would have played better, This wouldn't have been a situation where I felt like it would have got out of hand on the other side because they would have continually had answers and continually grinded.
3: Pretty phenomenal defensive performance last night from Tampa Bay. It shouldn't go overlooked. Tom Brady's gonna get a bunch of that credit, Spencer, but just a you know, the the better team last night obviously won that game. It's not everyone was looking at the officials in that first half and worrying about that was not the difference in this game.
2: No, and the one thing I wanted to add to the Tom Brady thing is he took eight years off of Super Bowls. So I mean eight years in the middle of his career, he's he didn't win a Super Bowl and for him to still get the seven that's crazy but mm-hmm. i think todd bowles was the mvp last night the, the way that that defense played and the, the way they were able to just continuously get pressure on him i know uh kansas city was missing both tackles and the offensive line looked like a you know a makeshift offensive line especially for the super bowl but you still have to give credit that that defensive front uh, reminded me of when ohio state plays like maryland and, and it, it did it reminded me of you know you got chase young and all those guys just destroying the maryland offensive line that's what it looked like except it was in the super bowl and it was a bunch of 30 year old dudes pushing around nfl offensive linemen it was pretty impressive
1: well you know and part of that was you mentioned todd bowles granted the kansas city was down to their third and fourth offensive tackle which was a big deal but a lot of that was scripted of how they were going to attack them keeping two guys back Durham to run the football not letting Tyree kill have the big play over the top, mm-hmm. and their linebackers Levante, David, Devin White wrapping up Kelsey. He he led the game. He you know, yep. led the, the the game in catches and yards, but it was late stuff. It was garbage. Didn't have a big third down conversion. Um, and you know he had some drops, but those guys were all over him. They took care of the screen game. And up front, I know you'll appreciate this, Michael. I don't oh. know if you noticed this. They started taking uh, they started taking Vita Vea and and they flipped them and they put their defensive ends and Shaq Barrett and Jared, Jason Beer paul inside. They crushed it with those guys on the outside, just mushed the tackles back, and those guys were kind of spies that they would wrap late and play off of each other. And that's why Mahomes, as soon as you saw him break contain after those first couple drives, there was nowhere for him to go because those guys were able to close. They had greater speed and were able to track him down.
0: Yeah, I, you know when I watched uh, the Tampa Bay versus Packers game, that was the first time because it, it would have been pretty easy money. It felt like for a while to put your money on uh, Kansas City. It's just the Mahomes, the weapons, Andy Reid. There wasn't much teams could do to slow st- to slow that offense down. And then you watch that Tampa Bay versus Green Bay game, and you're like, okay, wait a minute. I first of all, I didn't remember that JPP and and um were on that defensive line and Shaq Barrett, and it was just watching them dominate the Packers' offensive line. Now, the Packers' offensive line, I have a lot of respect for. I think their left tackle was hurt, uh, which let which opened them up to a lot of, of tough stuff, especially Shaq Barrett started eating on them. Mm-hmm. But um, when you saw that, that is the only way to slow down a great quarterback. You can't slow them down with, with clever coverages or anything like that. You need to get in their face. They need to feel uncomfortable. They need to feel pressured. And we saw that against Aaron Rodgers from Tampa Bay. And then they took that and applied the exact same thing to Kansas City, obviously with a little changes here and there to keep them guessing. But I don't know, I don't remember the last time um, Patrick Mahomes was held without a touchdown for however long never. he was held. Never. never, okay, there you go, Answer answered that answer. question. And he was never held that long. Um, on top of that he looked uncomfortable especially later in the third quarter he was dancing around before that pressure even got to him and Bobby was mentioning it that they brought the big guys off the edge you saw that even if nobody was winning clean they were pushing that pocket so he couldn't just dance around he couldn't stay in there and be settled and that kind of thing especially you go you know later in the game you've been hitting the quarterback he feels unsettled that's when those interceptions happen that's when those drop balls happen because nobody knows when he's going to be able to get the ball out so watching that game last night that front seven you know i'd love to give all the praise to the d line but the defense as a whole but particularly that front seven yeah played absolutely out of their minds they had energy they were flying around and when that's what happens when you have those big guys up front that's why um, when we were talking about Ohio State earlier this year it was such a big deal that you had Haskell and Tommy in there because when you can have those big guys in the middle who are pretty quick it just it shuts down a huge part of the offense.
3: Brady's career is just, it's so wild. I mean, I think it started before Spencer was even born, uh, you know, and he started well before either of you guys got in the league, and, and now he's staying well after, uh, you know, obviously the seven Super Bowls, but the longevity. Um uh, Michael, I think you know you had a painful one with your Jacksonville team against him a few years ago before you – Well, they brought I, that
1: up, I think, during the game at one point too. Did they? Yeah, and then Leonard Fournette. I, was oh, like, yeah. He was on the
0: board. Oh, I'm, I'm waiting for him to act a fool. He, <laughs> I was watching him. I was like, man, how does this – this dude's getting a, a Super Bowl. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. Good for him. But, yeah, he's probably got some words about Jacksonville.
3: What's, um, what's it like for you two defenders, or the experience of getting ready to play Tom Brady to be on – uh, on the other side of the formation from him, go against that greatness. I mean, any memories of, of dealing with him in that
1: situation? You know, we played him in Dallas once, and that was when they had Moss and Walker and seven. The that unstop- sounds fun. Yeah. The unstoppable juggernaut. <laughs> we were good. We we went thirteen and three, yeah. we were the first place team. And the, they undressed us, and we tried. we like, oh, we're gonna line up and do like three or four things. We we were we got destroyed. Like we couldn't guard West in the slot. Randy us over the top. I mean, it was just everything we thought we could do, we weren't able to execute with because Tom was reading our mail like. If, if he knows what gonna, he's going to see pre-snap, and that was the one thing. They were able to run the ball last night. When you run the ball, mm-hmm. you cannot be exotic in coverage. Like this flipping of the defensive ends and defensive tackles, you can't do that if they're running the football yeah. on you because they'll just gash you up the <laughs> middle because your D-, <laughs> D ends are inside. And so they were able to run the ball. A lot of their passes were play action. So when you do that, then your coverages get a lot simpler. You can't sit there and move around, adjust. You're not getting them in the third and longs to be able to bring some stuff. And, you know, we played him in Detroit, did the same thing. We, we were actually tight. I think it was on Thanksgiving or right around there. And, you know, they found our one corner. One of our dudes was young, like sucking your guy, thought he could, like, bait him. And Tom, like, <laughs> pump faked him and then threw it over his head. And he's our defensive corner, We watched him film the next day. He's like, did you really think <laughs> you were going to be able to fool this guy? He's like, Cause you can fool some other guy. Did you think you are going to get him? He's like, you are, he's, like, I, and he's like, you're a smart guy. He went to Wake Forest. He's like, I thought you were smart. He's like, you are, you're the dumbest smart guy I know. If you thought you were going to get one over on this guy. He knew what you were doing before you even thought about it. He'd watched the film. He'd seen you do it a million times, and he hit you. But like going against him, the, the, probably the best was in practice because you know, training camp and OTAs going back and forth. And Jordan Meo and I were playing inside together and just being able to change stuff. And they gave you a lot of freedom up there to do that. So, Tom would make an adjustment. You'd kind of figure out what it was, changing things, and going back and forth. And he had so many answers all the time. And you just saw that last night. Like, he just, once you can run it, they couldn't do much. So, he knew he was going to identify the coverage and find the weak spot.
0: Yeah, we played against Tom a couple times. Um, We did joint practices with him. And then we had, we played against him twice. Both uh, in Foxborough. And the first one was a regular season game. And when I say, I I think we lost 52 to 10 or something. It was disgusting. And the whole week leading up to it, you could feel the respect they had for Tom Brady in the locker room. Like, we're in film. Like, okay, guys. We don't have to. We don't have to introduce him. Yeah, <laughs> but like they have a, a countdown. I'm sure Bob knows all about it. Where a, a quarterback has, usually gets rid of the ball in like 2.2 seconds or something. That's the league average. And that year, Tom Brady had been getting getting the ball out of his hands in 1.7 seconds. You can't do anything against that. Like there's no there's no way you can you can't run five yards in 1.7 seconds or whatever it is. So, um, and then he went out and beat the crap out of us. And the other one was in the AFC Championship championship game in 2017 we had a great team a great defense and we had um, a good game plan for him but one of the plays last night when it was right before the end of the second half and he launched that long ball to Mike Evans I don't know if you guys saw Mike Evans drag his feet (laughs) to get tripped up but that's what they do. Right before the half, they're going to launch that long ball. And they did that to us in the AFC Championship. And what they're hoping for is a penalty. And, you know, it's very hard as a DB to track the ball, keep up with your man, get your eyes around, and make a play on the ball. Nine times out of ten, Tom Brady's throwing that bomb. The refs are throwing a flag. And that's what they got. And that so that brought me a flashback because it was all downhill after that for us. Um, and that it was all downhill for uh, Kansas City after that. So he, he's just – a consummate professional. He knows everything that's going on in that field. He recognizes it immediately. If he knows what the weak spots in a defense might be, he has his eye out for it, and he'll recognize it before anybody else and expose it. Uh, he's just absolutely incredible to watch. Um, and it sounds like we got another 12 years of him playing in the NFL. <laughs> so. it's- I don't know when he's going to slow down. He's in better shape than me at 43 years old. It's, it's uh,
3: crazy. Uh, I it was also – you know, weird, just not to have any Ohio State presence in that game as mm-hmm. much as. Oh, there
1: know, the was puck. plenty in back there. A lot of guys that either came or should have come. <laughs> I think the whole Tampa Bay secondary, when you start looking at it, from you know Jamel Dean to Winfield. I mean, it's all right. There was a number of. I guys. know
3: those connections. I don't know we're going to count <laughs> Jamel Dean's three days on campus, but.
1: He wanted to come here. But he tried to play. All right, Which, like,
3: all our Buckeyes. All our Buckeyes. <laughs> if you come for a day, then that counts.
1: I mean, Winfield's dad played here. He would have. Pro- he. I. I would wager a fairly large sum of money that if he would have been offered by Ohio State, he would have attended Ohio State.
3: I honestly can't believe that he was never offered. I don't he wasn't know. tall
1: enough. Whatever that means. Well,
2: I don't know. He's Tall enough to win a Super Bowl. Tall enough to win a Super
1: Bowl. And that's what everybody gets caught up in this. And I, the argument is, you know, height and stars. Someone tweeted me, height and stars don't matter. I go they do matter but there are exceptions yes he w- he's an exception to the rule and his father was an exception to r- right. the rule at a high level in the NFL so i'm going to i'm going to roll the dice on that exception there i mean it's not like you're going to ever offer every 58 guy who may not run a you know 43 but his dad was a really good player he had really good film you knew what you were getting worst case you knew you were going to get a good football player maybe not a star and he ultimately became that. So that's why I, I just, it hurts me that he, not, that he was a gopher and not a Buckeye.
3: It, yeah, sometimes you have to trust the bloodlines. Yeah. And then the point also, like how many other you know, guys that could be there? Spencer, you touched on this. Four of the last five now, uh, NFL rookie defensive player of the year. Oh, gosh. If we're talking about maybe JT Tua Malau here, looking Chase Young, a couple Bosas, Denzel Ward, I believe, is the other. Uh, four out of the last five, that's quite a dynasty of that developed here going on to the next level. At least that over the weekend when Ohio State didn't claim that they played in every Super Bowl except five like Penn State <laughs> graphics. They at least had some presence to celebrate over the weekend.
2: Yeah, Chase Young was as impressive as any rookie in the NFL, offense or defense, and it would have been a crime for him not to get that award. I don't know if they'll win it again for the fifth out of sixth year. Somebody's going to have to shock me. Maybe Sean Wade will have a better sure. rookie year than than a lot of people expect, but That pipeline's not going anywhere. You know, look at a guy like Tyreek Smith could potentially be a first-round pick next year, make it six out of eight or five out of seven or whatever the number would be. That pipeline is not going away. I think they, they have an opportunity to have a lot more of these guys. And to be able to go right into the NFL and dominate the way all four of those guys have, when you talk about the Boses, which they speak for themselves, Marshawn Lattimore, who had probably his best season was his rookie season, and then... Uh, Chase, who's just going to continue to get better. It's, it's so impressive what Larry Johnson and the entire defensive staff does. I
0: also, we we also had a it. couple uh, offensive player rookies of the year, didn't we? Wasn't uh, we had Zeke? Zeke? Yeah, was Zeke Michael Thomas not
1: one? No. no. Okay, okay. They couldn't both be it. They came out together. That's right, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so to I was about the say, to say too many options someone.
3: out here. It's hard, to, it's hard to keep
0: up with it. Uh, we, don't,
3: hey, we don't have any offensive guys here. Jay-Z is not. We'll just talk about the silver bullets today. Don't worry okay, about that. You. don't
0: have to give them equal time. So, like, how do you get better recruiting than that? Four of the last five def- rook- defensive rookies of the year are o- Ohio State Buckeyes. How do, you, how do you go to a kid's house who wants to be in the NFL, a pro bowler, all that kind of stuff, and, and have to convince him to come to play you know, whatever defensive position at Ohio State yeah. when you're just pumping out talent like this? I mean, you could point to the defensive rookies of the year. You could point to defensive player of the weeks. So you can point to uh, contracts signed. And everything points to, hey, come to Ohio State if you want to be successful. And it's just gonna. It feels like it's just gonna keep building that way. And I think, Bob, that's probably why you look at this specific case we're talking about.
3: The only recruit in in this class at Ohio State's still trying to sign, he's gonna wait it out till April. It's basically an Ohio State or Alabama. He's never visited Columbus, so why is he in the mix? Probably because we're talking about Chase Young, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Michael Bennett, uh, you know, Adolphus Washington, all these, you know, all these guys over the years. Um, that's it's clear. The evidence on film
1: oh it is and a lot of that now it's it's Larry Johnson too he does a yeah. great job relating to those guys he cares he loves his players when you talk to him, and like any one of his players whether they played at Penn State like Tom Lee came here and was working with our guys you know he's a Penn State dude and I, I played against Tombaugh I great guy Kansas City Chief you know for a long time and uh you know comes in and is working just because he loves Larry so much because Larry's invested into him so much through his not just in college but the entirety yeah. of his career and so you see that and you're like this is a guy that I, I want to work on me he works on great players but he he legitimately cares about you and you have a relationship with him that transcends just the game. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, that's it's hard to look at that on paper. Like obviously Alabama's got a great program and turns out a bunch of pros, but you know if you are a defensive lineman, you're number one player in the country. I just can't imagine saying no to
0: Larry Johnson. Just. And you, yeah, there's no telling how long Coach Johnson's going to keep coaching. But the chance to work with him, like you said, all the talent that he pumps out. And you won't understand until you're around him, until you're coached by him, why he's able to pump out that much talent, why these guys want to come play for him. Um, like Bobby said, he genuinely cares about players. And his communication style is just leagues above a lot of other coaches because he's able to, he's able to motivate He's able to um, educate, and he can do it all with building up your self-confidence, all with uh, making you feel... Like you're being looked after, all that kind of stuff. And that's really rare. You know, he becomes a father figure for a lot of guys. Um, and, you know, like you said, Tamba Ali's coming back. There are a lot of guys who will come back and work, work with Coach J who are in the NFL in the off season, And that's, you know, there are so many places where you can go work. There are so many places where you can go get great uh, coaching, but they choose to come back to a college that isn't theirs <laughs> to work with a man because of how good he is. And so every D lineman in, in high school, I would think, would want to, to work or want to be coached by Coach Johnson, I'm sure there are other good defensive line coaches. But he just brings a different level of urgency and he brings a different level of um, attention to detail that a lot of these places can't compete with. Yeah, and
3: you talked, Bob and Michael, about Tomahali coming back. It's, it's all of them. And even when they had – they could have gone anywhere last summer – uh, they're looking for a place to work out. So Chase Young, they're in a field like out in Dublin with Coach Jay. You have Taekwon Lewis, some guys that I didn't even mention. Tyquan Lewis is out there. Jonathan Hankins comes yeah, back. From Jonathan time to time. Hankins, Tracy Sprinkle, uh, you know Sam Hubbard, Chase Young. Like these, he he left Jalen Holmes. Chase Young was like training out in Malibu, mm-hmm. and he's like, all right, I'm a, I'm just gonna go to Columbus and work out on a field with nothing else, except a couple bags because Larry Johnson's working there. Like, and he had a great year this year. Yeah, I can't imagine like that is that common other places. I just.
1: No, it's not common anywhere no, else. No. Like, even a place like Alabama, a place like, number one, Columbus is a little bit nicer than a lot of college towns, but you have a coach there, you have these relationships, and it's not. It, I'm telling you right now, I have to talk to a lot of guys. And mm-hmm. Like, why would you want to go back to Columbus in the offseason? Like, because this is it. I mean, you like living here, but then you have these coaches
2: and the people that are around you that just impact you in such a positive way. I think the most impressive thing about Larry Johnson to me is when you watch like pregame NFL stuff. A lot of guys are just getting some stretching in. You see every Ohio State defensive oh. line alum; they're all doing the hand drill still. I, I and then you go to the opposite end of that. Last year when we were allowed to go to one spring practice, I saw darion Henry struggle to do a hand placement drill. By November, they're showing the pregame warm up stuff. He's doing it as well as yep. uh, Jonathan Cooper. You learn that quickly, and it never leaves you. So then you watch Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa; these guys pull a guy aside in the pregame they're doing the nfl pregame stuff and you see him do the hand placement <laughs> drills and then you watch the game and it's like oh i saw that exact move in pregame on air and that guy's doing the exact same thing i wonder who taught him that <laughs> well it's probably the best defensive line coach in america
3: that yeah. sticks with him uh, we got a lot more we're going to get into with the ohio state coaching staff big uh, some off-season uh, transactions and possibilities we're going to get into that after we take a quick break here on letterman live which is brought to you by
0: roosters
3: All right, welcome back into the Letterman Lounge. This is Letterman Live. It's brought to you by Roosters, which got a got a new song for you to work on, Bob. Tomorrow's appetizer, two dollar Tuesday appetizer, cheesy bacon
1: fries. Oh boy, cheesy bacon fries, so delicious, so good. <laughs> I'm gonna send them to the tonight, so we can eat them at appetizer Tuesday.
3: Put them on the plane down to Jacksonville with a plate of cheesy bacon fries. I mean. Obviously, mac and cheese bites is where it's at for him, so he might not be that interested. The mozzarella sticks are somehow surviving down there by Michael for now. I
0: was trying to save some for Spencer before right. I just inhale them.
3: Yeah, all right. But uh, come get that tomorrow, uh, $2 all day, appetizer Tuesday, the best part of your week, if you can't make it to Letterman Live on Monday. Simple as that. Come get it. Um, Last week, as expected, we talked about it on Monday when we were in here, Bob, that Parker Fleming was expected to get that promotion, that Matt Barnes was going to get more responsibility in the secondary. Lo and behold, that happened. Uh, What do you guys make of these moves before we get into one that that may happen and shake things up even more?
1: So, you know, Matt Barnes obviously was already working with the secondary and, and running and coordinating the special teams. So it's good. It keeps the language the same. There's a familiarity there. Puts two guys in the secondary, you know, kind of full-time, which I like. So that way Carey can kind of coordinate the defense, focus on corner technique. He's one of the best corner technique coaches you're going to find. But Barnes kind of handle the safeties and everything else. Love that. And so then, you know, Parker Fleming comes in. He knows the system. He understands the expectations here. Um, and I think it fits. I think it really works. So I, I like what they did here. You didn't necessarily need to go out of pocket to go find some big name. That you, unless you felt like you really needed that. And based upon how you're recruiting and everything, like Kerry Combs is the guy that recruits the secondary. Yeah. and He's getting great players. So it's not like you need to go out there and find a guy. And you want to make sure you had a personality fit on the staff. That's the other big piece is when you look at this, you need to make sure your staff all gets along and respects each other and they don't have egos. And I think that that is all still intact right now with that staff.
0: You know, like you said, Kerry Combs is the guy that the secondary still runs through. Um, I would love to have – to make sure that he still has a presence there. The amount of talent that he's produced, the the way he coaches, uh, the presence he has in that locker room is, is massive. So you don't want to get him too far away from that secondary group, especially in a pivotal year like this where we're coming off a year where the secondary was uh, where we were struggling. Um, you want him to be more involved and all that kind of stuff. All that being said, it's good to bring guys in that he can mentor, that he can teach, uh, and who can who can let him kind of – um, spend more time in the whole grand scheme of things while he can trust them to keep building these guys, keep keep making that secondary better, and he can uh, help them out or he can give them some advice on what needs to be done and keep checking in with that room from time to time. But Kerry Combs isn't going to be here for another 20 years as Ohio State's secondary coach anyways, so it's good to
1: get some – I don't mean, know. He's got <laughs> a lot of – That man's fruits.
0: vitality <laughs> yeah. is crazy, but – um, it's, as long as there's Red Bull and coffee on this
1: planet, it's <laughs> it'll be work. all
0: right. But it, it's good to get uh, some guys that are coming in and getting used to the system. And you know, if they're more homegrown, that's even better. Um, but I, I think Kerry Combs is the guy you want to be more involved with your secondary. And it's good that he's getting more involved with the defense as a whole, just because of the amount of experience he, he brings to the table.
3: Yeah, Spencer, we talked about this last week. You know that. Everybody com- is comparing it to Alabama, and that's, that's going to be the way it works forever. And no, they did not bring in a former NFL head coach to join the staff or an army of analysts, uh, although there could be a couple. Uh, you know, Paul Rhodes might be a name that you file away uh, for Ohio State this offseason as someone who could come in to help out. But um, you look at this, like it's more of a Clemson model of chemistry, continuity, familiarity, and bringing guys up through the ranks. And Parker Fleming has twice – Paid his dues in the Ohio State program. He was there uh, with you, Michael, at 2012 and 13. then left with Everett Withers. Uh, a couple stops where he was a full-time coach, James Madison in Texas State. Comes back to Ohio State, uh, serves in this quality control you know, role under Ryan Day, gets to know that. So he he checks all those boxes for what Ryan Day's been looking for.
2: Yeah, and it makes sense because there's two programs that have won two titles in the last four years. Alabama's one of them. Everybody wants to model themselves after Alabama and bring in all these NFL names. But there's also the Clemson model that is – Basically, the Ohio State model before Clemson even did it. So it, it makes a lot of sense to go that route and not, you know, uh, upset anybody in the building. Not have to bring in these million-dollar coordinators. Not have to bring in these former NFL head coaches to, for everybody to, you know, have their hand in in what's going on. I think it it just makes more sense for this program to take this route and promote Parker Fleming and have Matt Barnes spend a year learning how to teach the technique under Kerry Combs, and now he gets to apply it, and he gets to teach the technique some, as Kerry is also helping out. Kerry gets to spend a lot more time with all the other defensive coaches. I think this, this is a win-win-win-win-win. It's the <laughs> Clemson model over the Alabama model, and I think that... You know, Obviously, Ryan Day prefers it, but I think the more Ohio State fans, I guess, understand why it's happening, they're going to like the move more than if you bring in an NFL head coach to, for a rehab center.
3: Well, it seems like everybody who who has been around Parker Fleming in that role for Ohio State has raved about you know, his intelligence. Obviously, Ryan Day's vote is the only one that really matters. Uh, Michael, I don't know how many special teams units you were working on in twenty twelve or thirteen when he was not many, yeah, helping, but he was helping huh. Kerry Combs back then. so there's another you know tie he was Kerry
0: was the special teams coordinator, um, familiarity with Combs, familiarity with day now. Yeah, at this point, we should trust Ryan Day's judgment on at least personality in uh, coaching. Uh, it, he hasn't made too many missteps when it comes to bringing people on staff. And especially in college, college coaching, a lot of it, like Bob was saying, is about chemistry and it's about uh, c- continuity. And you bring a guy who's been with the program for quite a while, and even, you know, he left and had some experience at other places, but he understands what Ohio State's about. He has pride in Ohio State. He has love for the city of Columbus and the state of Ohio, and and that kind of thing, I think, is a bigger deal than we give it credit for, especially in college football because more so um, when you're playing for a city or you're playing for a a state that you grew up in, Mm -hmm. that kind of pride, that kind of um, understanding amongst everybody brings the most out of everybody and makes them want to play harder or coach harder or do more, study more, whatever it is. Um, So to to bring guys guys in that understand how important Ohio State is and have a love for the program is only going to benefit you, even if they don't have as much experience or knowledge as some former head coach. They're going to work hard. They're going to understand. They're going to work hard to understand it. They're going to be coached by coaches that they know and that they respect. And it's not going to be nearly as much of an ego grab or a power grab um, that you might see from a Bill O'Brien, who seemed, you know, if you hear you talk about uh, <laughs> how players felt about him, not very many people had had felt very fondly about Bill O'Brien. So he goes to Alabama in a reduced role from what he's been. You wonder what that effect, what kind of effect on
1: a team that's going to have. So I think Drake said, "All I care about is money in the city that I'm from." So you kind of stick with that mantra, then I think it's can't go wrong. (laughs) Yeah,
3: that's just Drake has a great way of just distilling it down to the bare bones. There's a lyric for everything. Yeah. (laughs) Bob, you spend much time around Parker Fleming in either of those two stops.
1: Yeah, you know, I got a chance to uh, you know see him the first time he was around here, and uh, I think he did a good job. You know, and it was you're just watching his interaction with the players. He's a young guy. He has a lot of energy. He you can tell he's tech, technically sound in how he coaches, but he, and he's very relatable to the players. And so that's that's the big piece. Like, do you know what you're doing, and can you relate to your players and communicate it? And so that's, he checks both of those boxes. I'm curious to see how they'll use him in recruiting, how that's going to factor in, and if there's any other areas that he'll help out with. Um, that's, that's something that you know also kind of keep an eye on. But you know, I think he's going to do a fine job here. You know, it, and he's very, like I said, he's technically sound and relates well to guys. And if those two things are checked, then it's, you have a pretty high floor for success.
3: And we talked about this last week when he, he's obviously sliding into the vacancy that was created by Greg Madison's retirement. And if we're just solely talking about you, you know, bringing that up with what does Parker Fleming bring as a recruiter. Well, you know, they didn't use Greg Madison as a recruiter. So anything they get from Parker Fleming would be a bonus. Um, That's, you know, I think that's sort of the evolution here. They got what they needed from Greg Madison, uh, two years of mentorship, two years of working with the linebackers, and then Ryan Day decided that he needed something else. Now the whole thing that could upset this apple cart is if – $1.5 one point five million dollars from Tennessee is enough to get Al Washington to leave this staff, which this is a this is a big deal because we're sitting here, you know, last Wednesday. You know, Ryan Day's got that complete coaching staff; he's comfortable. He wanted that continuity. Boy, if you take Al Washington out of this group, I, you know, it's it's a position coach, but it's a much bigger deal for Ohio State, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, he's got a lot to weigh. One point five million dollars for Al Washington would be a raise, currently of a million dollars for what he's making to be the linebackers coach. Um, you know, he'd be. The defensive coordinator for the Vols, although I don't think that, uh, at least what I've been told from people that I still know in in Knoxville, that he would not be the sole play caller for the defense. So these things have to be weighed. When you're looking at uh, the mess that Tennessee is, uh, a new coach, uh, roster turnover with, I don't know, like 30% of their roster in the transfer portal, to me it's not appealing. and I just think Al Washington can do better. it's going to be up. Of, well, that's
1: a lot of portal action right there.
3: It's incredible, it's including their best linebacker. So with who Al Washington is currently recruiting to come uh, out of the transfer portal to join Ohio <laughs> State. So that's another factor to work there. He's been spending the last couple of weeks recruiting against that program and talking about how great Ohio State is, how much they need him. Because, I mean, really, just beyond Al Washington, those four linebackers are gone too. So yeah. that's a mouthful. I think it's a big deal that Ohio State, Gene Smith, Ryan Day make an offer with some of that Greg Madison money to keep Al Washington. So
1: I just referenced the Drake drop. Yeah. Where is Al Washington from? He's from Columbus, Ohio. From Columbus, Ohio. I believe he went to Bishop Watterson, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? That is correct. Went to Bishop Watterson, then went to Boston College. He is a Columbus guy. He is my age. Um, You know, his family's from here. Most guys that are from here, and I think you've seen this, you know, even with, like, Fick who was here for a long time, Marcus Freeman, was down at Cincinnati, it takes an overwhelming financial offer mm. of something that you haven't had to be able to, to move you. Ohio State, can they can get in the ballpark of where they need to be with Tennessee. I believe that he would probably prefer to stay here. I think of all things being equal, he would definitely stay here. If you can just get to the same level. Now, Ryan coming out and talking about he's not going to name a co-coordinator. Well, you know what? Things change, <laughs> all right? And so I didn't want to have to name a co-coordinator. Um, but we're going to do that now because this is the way to keep this guy. We're going to give him a co-coordinator, give him a title bump, give him a pay raise. You know what? College football is ex- an expensive business. The stakes are high. And, you know, people may cringe at that and say, hey, he's a great recruiter. He's a really good coach. He cares about Ohio State. He enjoys it here. I don't know if you have to pay him the full 1-5, but it's got to be close. And he's going to have to have the title bump and you know, I'm going to do my best to try to recruit him. I help him recruit guys. I'm going to try to recruit him to Steaks. I think he's really good at his job, and I hope that Gene Smith understands that. And you got, I don't care. Shikes talks about that rat hole money. you got to find that somewhere, <laughs> whether it's in the McDonald's bags, the Wendy's bags. I don't <laughs> care wherever it's at. Sometimes you need to use that on your coaches too.
3: Well, that's okay. McDonald's bags. You're going to go to some place that's probably about to be on probation? <laughs> I'm knocking over the sign. Like, you guys know I, I used to cover that program before I was – saved and got to come to Columbus, Ohio and got my whole life turned around. A lot of him.
1: hot showers when you're covering that program. <laughs> well,
3: that's the evolve for Life program. Derek Dooley was installing that, teaching them how to uh, you know, get themselves properly clean. Um, that place is a mess. It has been for 15 years. That's not going to magically change because they finally got rid of Philip Fulmer uh, or brought in a new coach from Central Florida who – they needed to pay $125,000 for their new AD to hire the guy that he just hired. And they're, they, they're digging into NCA violations, which they used to fire the last guy. The nca they just got their case handed to them. Why would you go to Tennessee if you're out of Washington for anything?
0: So this is, this is my mentality on it. Um, I would never be mad at somebody for going to the money, especially if you haven't hit that big payday yet. Sure. You, know, you, you go do what you got to do for your family, for yourself, whatever it is. Um, this feels like more of one of those situations where now you have been shown, your your value has been shown yes. on the market. Yeah. And that's the biggest part of it is, you know, it's like asking a real estate agent to price your house and all of a sudden it's worth $50,000 more. <laughs> You're like, all right, you know, someone's got to pay me. And I think that's kind of what this is, is now he has proof to Ohio State, hey, this is what I'm worth. Um, and... For him, you know, when it comes to a career perspective, I don't even think this would be a good move for him to go to Tennessee from a career perspective. I think you spend a couple more years at Ohio State. Maybe like Bob said, they give you a little pay raise. They give you a title bump. He has the opportunity to go to some big programs and make a lot of money or inherit some big positions at Ohio State. Um, And I am am sure that he understands what kind of situation he's in. Um, So I see this more as the kind of go back to your employer's table and say, hey, you know, we're going to need a little a little bump up. And, you know, you start touching around seven figures, he might be a little bit more, uh, he might acquiesce a little bit more. But I'm excited for him that he's got some bargaining power. Yeah. Now let's just hope he, you know, he's clear-headed enough to be like, I don't know if I really want to go jump into that snake pit of Tennessee over this, this place at Ohio State where you love your head coach. Your athletic director for a long time has been very supportive of the football program. Um, you're, the city absolutely loves football, and you get the opportunity to coach some stellar athletes. It, it would be hard to find a better place, uh, but Ohio State should definitely pay the man.
1: But listen, the offer that he's getting... It better start with two. It better be two commas, and that it's a two yes, comma it's, offer. Yeah, a two comma offer, like yeah. that,
3: seven figures, two commas. That's yeah. the
1: reality of what it needs to be, and people may not like that. And they got spoiled here with Hardline because you know Brian's a former player. He's from you know Canton. and his wife's from here. Pulling
0: that Tom Brady
3: pay cut, but yeah, he, he also had played seven, seven years. Yeah,
1: of he, yeah, he also money. played in the NFL and got a pretty nice deal. And okay, so he has a little more patience and things. And, and, and this is the only place he's ever really lived. Like I was bounced. I don't think he would want to move if given the choice, but you have to get in the ballpark. You cannot just say, well, you love it here, stay. Well, that's easy for someone to say who's in in a good financial position.
0: And this works out for Brian Hartline, too. They pay out Washington. You know, Brian Hartline's looking around like, all right, hey, I'm pretty good at what I do, too. (laughs) And that might be one of those things that Gene's worrying about. Like, if I pay him, then i got to pay two other people. But you need to
1: keep him. He'd be making a million dollars at any SEC school right now. Easily. If he wanted to. He is, yeah, Without question.
0: And,
3: like, again, like, go back to it. I know everything has changed with the pandemic and there weren't fans to, to make a bunch of money last year, but $1.1 million did open up. Parker Fleming is not going to be taking a big chunk of that. Al Washington, Brian Hartline, the two guys that we named, they need a lot of that money. Mm-hmm. They, they've earned it, mm-hmm. and you have to keep them around because, Spencer, the other part, if we're going to talk about it, with the you know, coaching staffs in Alabama and Clemson, the Clemson model includes – Paying those guys for their loyalty, which you know, Elliot just last week goes over the two million mark. So both of their coordinators are making over two million. Doesn't that necessarily. I don't think that's going to happen at Ohio State anytime soon. It took them a long time to get to seven figures. By
1: my loves. Put the money on the nightstand. <laughs> Let's go.
3: But that's the that's the other part of this. If so you're going to keep them around and keep. Uh, that continuity, you're going to have to pay for it. That's just a fact of life now.
2: Yeah, and the thing about it is everybody was clamoring for a big name to come in and, and replace Greg Madison. Well, if that happens, you have to pay all that money to the new big name, and then, hey, also you need to keep Brian Hartland. Also, you need to make sure that you have some money in the bank for when Al Washington gets a call from an SEC school and wants to pay him $1.5 million that you can offer and say, hey, you need to stay here. All of these moving parts work together, and I think that's what uh, – now it comes full circle with this Parker Fleming move now. Like you said, Ohio State has some money freed up. If they choose to spend it, they'll probably be able to keep Al Washington. If they choose not to spend it and keep the staff the way it is, Al Washington's probably going to take a hike down to Knoxville.
0: That's the, that's the beauty of those homegrown guys is, you know, you have these guys who have learned behind these coaches that you are paying vast sums of money to but they're still young. They're still kind of getting their feet under them. So you don't have to pay them a million or $2 million, but it is just a continuation of what you've been getting. And that's why it's so – in my mind, it is so important to have not just – not just a great way to develop players, but you need to develop new coaches sure. within your building so that they can come up and, and work their own way. Yeah, from time to time they're going to leave, but that's good. They're bringing new ideas when they come back to Ohio State, and it just speaks to the strength of Ohio State's culture. It, to the, it speaks to the strength of or the amount of love that people have for this city that so many people want to come back. Well,
3: you know, Super Bowls in the past – national championship in the past. It's time for the off-season drama. We're getting right into it. It's an interesting one. Ohio State has one coaching move. They're waiting on another. Uh, We'll be talking about it every Monday on Letterman Live at Roosters, no matter what happens. Appreciate Bobby Carpenter and Michael Bennett, as always, bringing that knowledge from the Silver Bullets. And Spencer Holbrook joining me uh, for a Monday at Roosters. Eating those cheesy bacon fries. Uh, you should have seen him during the break, by the way. I mean, he was just dangling up here. Mm. Look delicious. <laughs> I'm just Austin Ward. Thanks for joining us again this week on Letterman Live. It's brought to you by Roosters. We will see you again next week for a fun, casual conversation at a fun, casual joint.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family